Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're glad to be here. And now we come to the most important part. We open up your word and we want to know what you're saying. Father, we ask today that you would teach us and speak to us and give us understanding. Give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it and a heart and mind to believe it. Apart from that, Father, we will be wrong. We will not know you. Speak to us today through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As I've told you before, we're in between uh, books, me preaching through books. So we're just going to hit a few different things that are on my heart that I want to talk about. We'll start some Christmas sermons here soon after Thanksgiving. So today I want to talk to you about the Word of God, the powerful Word of God, the authoritative Word of God, and the sufficient Word of God, the truth of the Bible, the Word of God. Uh, this is a message that, that perhaps you know, but, it, but it's a message that we all need to be grounded in. Our church continues to have more and more uh, new people, people that are new in the faith, people that are considering following Christ, people that are not saved but maybe thinking about being saved. That's a good thing as we are uh, reaching people. And so people need to understand what the Bible says about the Bible, what the Bible says about the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. And so today, uh, I want to teach on that. If you didn't bring a Bible today, I want you to be able to follow along. There's Black Pew Bibles there in, in front of you. It would be page 1096, page 1096, 1096, if you could follow along there. We want you to be able to... Today, we're going to look at two verses, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 which are arguably the best verses in the Bible on the Bible being the Word of God. Um, and today I want to talk to you about the idea of, of God making us ready, God making us able, confident, competent, um, complete, equipped. These are words that are in this passage today, and, and that's what we want to be. Uh, the responsibility that comes with being a human being is big. Uh, for many of you, you live every day with all types of responsibility. Students have schoolwork that's done. You know, we're about to approach finals right now. Finals are either before Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving. There's a ton of responsibility that comes with being a student. As a parent, there's so much responsibility with raising kids in the world and, and being a good parent um, as a husband, as a wife. The responsibilities that you and I live with go on and on and on. And so what, what makes us able and, and fit for our responsibilities? We've got to be ready. I want to say this over and over again today, that we've got to be ready. And we cannot afford to not be ready. I don't know if y'all saw this, but last Sunday, uh, the Denver Broncos were playing. And you know the Denver Broncos quarterback is Peyton Manning, and he seems to be the best, or, or at least one of the best, and he's so good. And so the backup for the Denver Broncos, he never gets to play, the quarterback does. And so it was a blowout. I think the, the Broncos were up by 30-some points. And so the, the backup thought he was going to go in. And so Peyton Manning comes over to the sideline, and I think the coach tells the quarterback that he's about to go in. But he didn't have his helmet on. So the backup goes kind of like this, and he's walking over back to where the benches are and the stuff, and he grabs his helmet and puts his helmet on, he does all this, and the camera's recorded it all. He gets his helmet on, gets his chin strap strapped on, and he starts kind of trotting over like he's about to go in the game. And by the time he does all of that, Peyton Manning already did like this, nope, and went back out there. And he missed his shot. He had a chance to go into the game and finally get some minutes, the backup quarterback, but he wasn't quite ready. I think the rule in football is to have your helmet on, chin strap strapped on, so as soon as they tell you to go in, you're ready to go in. It didn't happen for him. In a very similar way that's close to us, you might think, even if the team is in victory formation and the clock is counting down with less than a minute left, 
And even if it's third down and they're about to take a knee for the third time, there's only 11 seconds left. The quarterback and the 11 other players or the 10 other players on offense who are on the sidelines hanging their heads thinking that the season's over better be ready because a fumble might happen and you might have one shot. One young person has said, do not miss your shot. It's your chance to go. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Don't miss it. You better be ready. And the Bible teaches us this too. Read with me, if you will, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's our passage today. I want to read it again because I'm going to then just start talking and I want this, the, these two verses to rest there. For many of us, these are some of the best verses in the whole Bible. They, they seem to say so much in a short little place. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want to give you just two simple points today. I want us to see the authority of God's Word, the authority of God's Word, and I want us to see the sufficiency of God's Word. So I want you to know that the Bible, God's Word, is authoritative, and I want you to know that the Bible, God's Word, is sufficient. It is sufficient for us, and I want to look at those two things. So first, the authority of God's Word. It begins like this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. What a statement. Your, ver your Bible, if you're using a different version, might say inspired. But inspired, inspiration means something has been spoken that means something to us. It has literally come out of the mouth. And so uh, that's why it says breathed out by God. And I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but if you were to put your hand in front of your mouth and start talking like I am, you're going to hear, you're going to feel all sorts of wind gusts coming out of your mouth. Because when we talk, stuff is coming out of our mouth. If you know somebody that has bad breath, the reason why you know that they have bad breath is because when they're talking, the breath is coming out of their mouth. And the Bible is teaching us that the Scripture, the, the writings, the holy writings have come out of the mouth of God. And I know that today there are many people who want to question that or doubt that, but I want you to know that for those who are the people of God, believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It says here that, that it is the Word of God. And just like you know that when anybody else in authority begins to speak, you need to listen to them. How many times have I had to tell my kids over and over again that when daddy says something to do, you don't say no or you don't say I don't want to. You say, yes, sir. Even if you don't want to or you don't like to or whatever, if daddy says that's what we're supposed to do, then that's what we're supposed to do because the authoritative one in the home has spoken. And we know that. And we like authority. You know, if the police are telling you to do something, then you should do it. If the teacher is telling you to do something, then you should do it. This is how authority works. And, and, and when God has spoken, you and I don't come saying, well, I, I, I wonder if it's right then. Because the one who's asking if that is right has elevated himself, right? If you question the cops, you're making yourself above the cop. If you question the one who's speaking with authority, you're making yourself above there. So when God speaks, people are to listen knowing that He is the authority. And the Bible points to this time and time again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what Bible is. That's what the truth of the Word of God is. Is that God has come under the inspiration and and, and under the power of the Holy Spirit and caused men to produce here what we call the inspired, truthful Word of God. And we don't doubt that. We don't question that. We submit to that. This is the Word of God straight out of His mouth. It has authority over us. We want to submit to it. I remember when I was uh, going after Valeria when we were in college and I had decided that I like her a lot and I love her and I want her to marry me and it was time to propose. And y'all know that I'm not very creative, creative at all. I don't know how to do anything neat or new or cool like that. And so I just stuck with what I knew. And so I took her to this place in the mountains where we could walk around for a little bit. And I had my little pocket Bible with me in the back. And we finally got to a spot where we could, we could sit down. And I took my pocket Bible and I turned to like every passage in the Bible that I could think of that talked about a woman or a godly man or marriage or love. We were at Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13 and <clears throat> Proverbs 31 and 1 Peter chapter 3. And we were at all of these places. I'm just reading it to her. And of course, she's thinking, well, this is a rather strange date. Um, but, I'm, but I'm just reading to her these things because just a few minutes after that, I got down on my knee and I proposed to her and asked her to marry me. And, and what I was able to say is, this is the most important thing in the world to me. This is where I have come to understand God, and it's the only place. And when it tells me to start looking for love, and for a relationship, and for a spouse, and for a woman, and for uh, somebody that could be the mother of my children, and somebody to be my, my, my best friend for the rest of my life, and my partner, and all of that, it talks a whole lot about it in here. You are what I've found. I wanted her to hear that from the Bible and from my heart. But that came out because I believe that this is the most important thing that there is according to relationships, love, girls, women, um, marriage, everything. That's how we are to come to the Bible as the authority. If God's going to speak about uh, relationships, then I want to understand what that is. So I use that with Valeria. If you will, turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter 9. And I want to show you how even the Bible, even the, even the Apostle Paul writing in Romans, uh, sees the Scriptures as the authoritative Word of God. At Romans chapter 9, verse 15, Paul is writing about the Exodus story with Moses in the book of Exodus. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 15, he says, For he says to Moses, and he there is God, he says, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And, and we're okay with that, right? He's just quoting. He's quoting from Exodus chapter 33. You remember when I preached on that just a few weeks back. So Paul is saying that God said to Moses in the book of Exodus. Does everybody see that? He is saying that God said to Moses in the book of Exodus. Everybody sees that? Well, now look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 9. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you. And then he goes on and on. So it's the same thing, but instead of saying, for God says it this way, he's saying, the Scripture says it this way. And both of these passages are pointing back to the book of Exodus and where the the Bible is talking. But sometimes he can say, God says, and sometimes he can say, Scripture says. Listen, folks, if the Scripture says it, God says it, no matter what it is. And Paul, writing his letter to the Romans, does that interchangeably. 
It's okay for you to say, well, you know, God says in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's okay for you to say, on the other hand, well, the Scriptures say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are two different things, saying it's coming from two different places, but it means the same thing, that it's coming from the same person. The Scripture is the book that God wrote. The Scripture is the book that God spoke. The Scripture is God's Word. And it is authoritative. And you and I believe that. We come to 2 Timothy and it's explaining that to us. It is out of the mouth of God, breathed out by God. Now, what is neat about this is that here in 2 Timothy, what this is is a letter that the Apostle Paul, who who is one of God's apostles, is writing a personal letter. It's not very long. It's only four little chapters to Timothy. And Timothy is is an up-and-coming minister that's going to be leading, and he writes him a letter. And if you go back just a little bit, he's reminding Timothy of all that he's learned from him, Paul. It's reminding him all that he's been taught in his life and all that he's learned and all the ways that he's growing into a man of God. And then he reminds him also how you've been being taught this truth since you were a kid. And he reminds him of his grandmother and his, and his mother and how they taught them and how he had been taught the Bible, the Bible, the Bible for his whole life and he's grown up in it. Okay? He does appeal back to how he was raised. He does appeal back to his church life. He does appeal back to his parents. He does appeal back to his experiences. He does appeal back to the people that he had been mentored by. And that man had a big influence on my life, that type of stuff. He does appeal to all of that. But the reason why all of that makes sense is because all of the truth of God that was incorporated into all of that is the Word of God. The inspired, breathed out Word of God. And therefore, Timothy, you are a man of God. He says all of that, and in verse 16 he says that it's breathed out by God. I recently was asking some of our young people to help me remember how it was that they came to faith in Christ. And I've asked several of our, of our high schoolers and college students to tell me, how is it that you came to faith in Christ? What was it? And I've asked them to kind of write it out for me in a half page. <coughs> From their perspective, how did, how did that go? And I know that there's a lot of things that, that go into it, but I remember one of them saying, you were speaking to us one day at basketball practice, and that message that you said from the Word of God stuck in my mind, and that is what God used. This is what they wrote down on paper. That is what God used to save me. And in my mind, I think, seems to be so little fruit and stuff like that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, family is involved and friends are involved and the community is involved and all that. And in their mind, they thought, I remember that day what you said from the Bible. Because the Bible has authority. And folks, we are to be a people who uphold the authority of God's Word. If God speaks, we listen. That's number one, the authority of God's Word. But now number two... The sufficiency of God's Word. It is sufficient. It is able. It can be trusted. And perhaps, you know, I don't know. Perhaps the issue with you and us and these days is not that people think that it's the authoritative Word of God. Maybe everybody here says, yeah, the Bible's the Word of God. But then we're starting to doubt whether it's sufficient. Well, can it be trusted? Or it doesn't really apply to me. Or there's other things going on in my life or in the world that I don't really think uh, are dealt with in the Scriptures. And so we don't think it's sufficient. Today I want you to see from this passage that it absolutely is sufficient. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It is profitable. 
Now, profitable is a good word. It's able to make a profit. It's able to make a benefit. It's able to do what it's supposed to do. It's able to help. It's able to help. And we know that the Bible is able to help. I know many people today have started to wonder if it's of any use. But for those who know it to be the power of God, know that it is profitable. But then it goes on and gets very practical. And I'm thankful when the Scriptures are practical. I say it a lot. People want to say that the Bible is hard to read or confusing, but there are so many passages that are not hard or confusing at all. Here's what the Bible is helpful for, profitable for. And it gives us four very simple things. I want to look at these four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. There's four things that the Bible does. Let's look at those. Number one, teaching. The Bible is a teacher. You know what a teacher is? A teacher is somebody who is to uh, help you learn something that you don't already know. That's why we appreciate teachers so much. I'll never forget some of my teachers. Now there's some teachers I have forgotten. But there are some of my teachers that I've never forgotten. I'll never forget my fourth grade teacher, Miss Wilson, where I had my hand raised and then I put it down. She said, Josh, you need, to, you need to ask your question. I said, no, I don't want to ask it. She said, Josh, you need to ask your question. I said, no, I don't want to ask it. She said, Josh, what was it? And I said, well, it's a stupid question. She said, Josh, there's no stupid questions. This is in the fourth grade. So no stupid questions. You ask questions and you learn. If there's something you don't know, ask it. If the people are going to laugh at you, let the people laugh at you for not knowing that. Because once you've asked the question, you're going to learn it. And I've never forgotten that. Fourth grade teacher. Teachers are helpful. Learning is helpful. You and I want to learn. I'm 34 years old. I don't know how old I was in the fourth grade. But I've still never forgotten that because teachers have such an impact upon our lives. We need to be taught. We need to learn. And the Bible teaches us that the Word of God is profitable for teaching. I want to ask you today, is there, are there some things in your life that you have questions about that you're not sure about? Are there some areas of your life where you admit that you need to learn? I know that y'all are some sharp people and some educated people and some fine people and some hardworking people and some successful people. I get that. Y'all really are. But there might be some areas, right, where you need to learn a little bit more. Maybe some areas where you admit have neglected. Maybe you've put in a little bit too much time in this area and not enough here and you just need to learn. What does God expect from me or from us? And what does God say about this? What is God's opinion here? What is God telling me? It's been my experience that many people, even those who, who are open to God, really don't know what God has said. The Bible says that the Bible, the Bible is profitable for teaching. I want to remind you of all the times in the Scriptures where the answer is, thus it is written. Do you remember after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, one of our favorite passages in Luke 24? The Bible says that two men were walking along the, uh, the road to Emmaus and they were discouraged because Jesus had already died and they didn't know what would happen and they kind of thought this was it. And the Bible kind of paints this picture that they're walking along the road and, and they're talking about all that had happened. And they, they, they thought, and it even says, we thought that Jesus was the one who had come to rescue us. We thought that he was the Savior, but now he's died and he's buried and he's gone. They were bummed out. But the Bible says that Jesus kind of secretly sneaks up and comes to walk with them. So now the two on the road to Emmaus are three. And he says, hey, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know about what's happened with Jesus? And they get into this big conversation. And they stop and they eat and they feed. They give Jesus some food. And the Bible says they didn't know that it was Jesus. This is after the resurrection. He's alive now. The Bible says that after that, God opened their eyes to understand. And that Jesus came to teach them, listen to this, everything that was written about Him in the whole Bible, Old Testament. And you know what He said? Thus it is written. They needed to know 
how to make sense of life, death, sin, forgiveness, Jesus, Jesus dying, God dying on the cross. They need to make sense of that. And Jesus didn't come and say, well, let me, let me break it down to you in some simple terms. Jesus knew that the Bible was able to break it down to you in simple terms. Jesus didn't come saying, well, if I, if I quote to them some of the scriptures, they won't get it. Jesus says in, Matthew, in Luke 24, 44 to 49, thus it is written. And Jesus begins to explain what God has spoken in the word about Jesus. And it worked for them. And the Bible says that they were amazed that Jesus was with them. The Bible says their eyes were open and that they understood and they rejoiced that Jesus was with them. Folks, the Bible is able to teach us. If you want to know God, would you submit yourself to saying, I want to learn. Secondly, the Bible is, is for reproof. This is how we see that the Word of God is sufficient. A reproof, do you see there? It's the second thing, for reproof. Reproof is a rebuke. Repu- reproof is, is when something just comes to you and says that you're wrong. And I want, to get, I want to get real with you for a second. Are you able, and this is a tough question, are you able to handle a rebuke? Are you? Are you tough enough? Are you humble enough? Would you be able to take it if your wife came to you and said, listen, honey, you're wrong. Would you be able to take it if I or another church member came and said, hey, you're wrong in this area. Can you handle that? Because the Bible assumes that those who have surrendered themselves to Christ and who have submitted themselves to the teaching of the Word of God, that they'd like a reproof. That's what you love about a good player. He's coachable, right? Don't you love that? You love it when you hear that about a player. Oh, he's coachable. Coach can come to him and chew him out and teach him. The player and say, yes, sir, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to get better. I'm going to learn from what I did wrong. I'm going to learn from that. It's the bad player, the arrogant player who doesn't want the coach to get on him or who thinks he knows more than the coach. He's, he's not even teachable or coachable. He can't take a reproof. Are you humble enough to be able to let the Word of God say, I'm wrong? Would you admit here today that there may be some areas in which you're wrong? You know that passage in Matthew chapter 22 where the Sadducees, those are the ones who don't believe in a resurrection, they come to Jesus and they don't believe in a resurrection and so they're trying to trick Jesus with questions about the resurrection. Like, okay, well if the resurrection's really real, Jesus, well what are you going to do in heaven when you get there and they're going to be somebody who's been married a couple times? Whose husband are they going to be and whose wife are they going to be? And they ask this question. You know what Jesus says? You, this is a quote from Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And Jesus didn't say that to them so they'd run home and cry. Jesus didn't say, them, say that to them so they'd go, go blasting out of the arena saying, I ain't going to listen to you. Jesus said that to them so they would realize, oh, we're wrong about God and the Scriptures. And we can't afford to be. I want to ask you here today, if you'll take a rebuke, that you may have been wrong about God and the Scriptures, would you surrender yourself to them and say, I want to know what you say, God. I take the rebuke that I was wrong. I've been trying to form my own opinions on life and everything else off of my own experience, and that just doesn't work. I need to hear what you say, God, and would you take the reproof? Do you know that Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the Word of God is, is powerful and living, active and living, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to get down into us, piercing between joint and marrow, deep down inside of us, and working in us, showing us that we're wrong. That is how people are able to change, because the Word of God comes inside and rebukes us. But as you know, like all good parents, a rebuke is never to hurt. A rebuke is to build up. And if you're a good parent, you know that. You don't spank your kid or discipline your kid 
because you want to ruin their lives. You do it for their good. My mom washed my mouth out with soap when I was a little kid, and I've never forgotten it. It worked. Rebukes are good because they want to teach you something. The third thing here is for correction. That's kind of the upside of a rebuke. If you just rebuke people and leave them beat down, you're not really getting anywhere. But you, you rebuke somebody and, you, and you, you get them to see they're wrong, but then you lift them back up with, now here's what's expected. And isn't that a good coach? A good coach is the one that's able to chew them out, but then put his arm around them and say, you're my man, go do it. It's a correction. The Bible, listen y'all, the Bible tells us that God's Word corrects us. Folks, I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't been rebuked and corrected umpteen times. There have been so many times in my life, even this week, where I've been wrong about something, arrogant about something, sinful about something, and the Bible has rebuked me on that, and God has corrected me on that, and lifted me back up and put me in position. Can you admit that there's some things that you're wrong at in life? And Would you look to God and let Him correct it? Are you still trying to correct it yourself? Or are you running in circles? Because you've yet to be corrected by God. God wants to correct us, and He does that through the Word. This is what we see in verse 17 on the second half of our passage today. What happens through all of this? That the man of God may be complete. See, folks, there is, there is a, a, a real way in which you and I are not very complete right now. We're a work in progress. Philippians 1.6 says that I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident of this. I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not who Josh Green's going to be one day, but I'm on the process of God rebuking me and correcting me, rebuking me and correcting me all the time. But how does He do it? Not through my good efforts. He does it through the Word of God. He rebukes me and He corrects me according to His Word. But then lastly, number four, Training in righteousness. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I love this word, training. I love the idea of putting your focus on something, going at it, practicing. When we spoke to the football team with a pregame meal this past Friday night, and I do this almost every week, I say, listen guys, I remember back in July when I went out there to just look at practice, and I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops, and I was miserable because it was 100 degrees. I was so hot and sweaty, I didn't even want to watch practice long because it was so hot. But you guys were out there in pads, in the July weather, 100 degrees, sweating it out, two-a-days, working hard, working hard. You know why you did that then? Because there's coming a day when it'll be Friday night, November the 21st, when uh, North Oldham's going to come to town, and we're playing for the regional championship. It's a big game. The biggest game in the lives of these football players ever. That's why July and August matters. That's why training matters. You know what? There's coming a day when our church is going to need a leader. There's coming a day when the Green household with Valeria, JJ, Eli, Noah, and Carolina, and the baby coming is going to go through some adversity. There's coming a day, it is, it comes to all of us. There's coming a day when there's going to need to be somebody in the house that's ready, competent, equipped for every good work. Trials are coming, difficulties coming, it happens in all of our lives. And the Bible says that the Word of God comes to me and it teaches me and it rebukes me and corrects me. Why? So that it will train me up, so that it will make me ready 
Training is such a good thing. My first ever job, y'all, I won't tell y'all the place because it'd be embarrassing. My first ever job, the training was one 30-minute video they made me sit and watch. One 30-minute video, and then that was it. They sent me to the dogs to go out there and get at it. And all I had was one 30-minute video. So little training, so I didn't know what, I was, what was expected of me. But when I worked at UPS from 2007 to 2009, all they do is train. Train, 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 train. At UPS, they do more training than they do work. I think you get more hours in a work week with training than you do for working at UPS. Why? Because they have such high expectations. They can't afford to go wrong. They can't afford to have one of y'all's packages to get lost in the mail. Training's a big deal. Safety's a big deal. Quality of production's a big deal. So training is important. We train, we train, we train, we train, we train. Folks, that's what I need in my life. That's what you need. And guess what? To be a church in the world in 2014 is a very, very touchy subject. Churches are walking a thin line these days in which you and I have got to be people who are in the world but not of the world, who shine as bright lights in the midst of darkness. We have to be. And don't you dare think for a second you're going to do it on your own strength or that mom and dad raised you well enough to fight off sin and darkness. It's not going to happen. Folks, we need to go to battle. We need to go to training. And we need to be taught by God. We need to understand every way that we are short, that we are lacking, that we are wrong, that we are out of line, or that we need help, that we need assistance. We need to realize that there's times that we're incompetent. We need to realize that there's times we're not equipped. There's times where we're not ready. We need to come to the Word of God and say, God who speaks, speak to me, change me, make it profitable in me, in my soul, in my life, in my family, for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Do that in me, God. And then verse 17 tells us that when that's the case, the authority of the Word of God and the sufficiency of God's Word, that we will be complete, equipped for every good work. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be. That's what we need to be. And some people are thinking that the Bible doesn't speak to that. But the Bible tells us that it does. If you're here today wondering... How can I do this better? How can I do that better? How can I be a, a, a better dad or a better mom or, or a better this or a better that? How can I? Or, or, or maybe you're thinking, what does it look like for me to be in my, in my relationship? I, I like this guy. I like this girl. What, what does it look like for me? The Bible says for you to go to the Word of God. Allow it to teach you. Allow it to rebuke you. Be tough enough to realize you're wrong where you're wrong in your relationships. Allow it to correct you and build you up, making you a better man or woman. Understand that it's training you, that you may be complete. Folks, the Bible is able to do that. It is sufficient to make you ready. It is sufficient to make you complete and competent. I want to close with this illustration. Perhaps you've heard of the, the book, Jesus Calling. I have it right here. Perhaps you have it. Maybe you've been reading it. Many people do. And my, my point here is not to tear down this book. Uh, and, and I mean that genuinely. It's a good book. And I'm, I'm okay with you reading this book. I'm, I'm, I'm happy if you are reading this book. I actually got this book off my wife's nightstand this morning. So we're not against Jesus Calling. But I want to show you the danger of thinking that the Bible is not authoritative or that the Bible is not sufficient. In this book, the author says, the author in this book says, 
I had been writing in prayer journals for years. But that was a one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, yet I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. You see what she's saying? She's saying that she knows the Bible's the Word of God and she knows the Bible speaks to her through the Word, but she doesn't think that's enough. That's not good enough. She needs something else. In her mind, the Bible was not sufficient enough. She's not denying the authority of the Bible. She knows that the Bible is the Word of God, but she is indeed denying that the Bible is sufficient enough to speak to her personally any given day where she is or what she has going on. But that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what the Bible does. And I would challenge you to evaluate in which way you're approaching the Scriptures. Understand that the Bible is profitable for you, very much so for you, to do four things very clearly. Teach, rebuke, correct, train you in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God would be ready, complete, competent for every good work. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2.10 that God has already prepared good works for us, that we would walk in them. But this passage says that we are ready for those good works as the Word of God works in us. The Bible teaches us that there is no salvation in anyone else other than Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says that His blood was spilt, shed, for the forgiveness of sins. And that if anybody believes in Him, the blood of Jesus washes away their sins. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible goes on to say that apart from that, nobody will be saved. Nobody. If you start to not believe the Word of God, the authority and sufficiency of it, There is no way to be saved. There is no way to be right with God. It is God's Word, letter, spoken, written to us, for us. May you and I be marked by our devotion, our allegiance, our commitment to God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for 2 Timothy 3. Thank you that all Scripture is breathed out and that it is profitable for us. God, may we benefit from it. We ask, Lord, that you indeed would teach us, rebuke us, and correct us. Make us ready, Father, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.